Welcome to the Run Run Live 3.0 podcast, where we celebrate the transformational powers of endurance sports. Your kiss, once sharp and thrilling, now comforts me. Hello, my friends. Hope your holidays are going well. Today, we have a conversation with one of my online running friends, Lisa Hamilton. We talk about commitment and training and a myriad of topics that might be interesting to you. In section one, we will discuss some tips for positive change in the new year. In section two, I'm going to talk you through my barefoot big iron workout. It's been a relatively easy week for me. I haven't been traveling. The big news is that I completed my December marathon of the month. And like I said I would, after the Tecumseh marathon got canceled on me, I created my own marathon around my hometown of Groton, Mass, and I ran it last Saturday. I managed to talk a bunch of people into running some of it with me, and my old Boston training friend Brian, codenamed Silent Assassin from the Goon Squad, he went the distance with me. It was actually an interesting social science experiment. When I announced I was running and asked for company, a couple of other folks came forward as well who had never run the distance and wanted to run with us. And I managed to talk one high school kid out of it, And another young lady hung with us through 17 or so, but we think she DNF'd because her car was gone when we got back. I had six people join me at some point or another. One friend jumped in for a 5K, two more jumped in for a 10K, one lady did a bit more than a half marathon, and my buddy Ryan hung with us for 17 or so. And like I said, we lost the other young lady around 17 or 18. And Brian and I, we finished the marathon. After we posted our finishing pictures, we got a bunch of people who said, hey, why didn't you tell us? We want to join you next year. (laughs) So it just goes to show you that you don't really need permission to do something epic. Do it and they will come. The weather ended up being nice in the 40s and overcast and we wore shorts and I wore my Nathan four bottle hydration belt, which I'll have to write a review on it at some point. It carries four eight-ounce bottles, and it rides great. It doesn't bounce at all. And I had three bottles of Genucan, which I drank one every 10K for energy. And I'll have to review that stuff as well at some point, maybe after the uh, marathons I have coming up next month. So that worked well. I talked two people who lived along the course into setting up water stops at the 10K and at the 15-mile mark. And with the weather unseasonably warm, Brian and I both agreed we could have used one more water stop in the in the high miles. At the end, we actually modified the course on the fly, first to avoid some more hills, but to swing by our cars for some more water around 23 and a half. We went slow. We took lots of breaks. It was all conversational and fun. Brian had just under four hours of running time on his watch, and I had about 4.22 with stops on my Garmin. The last 10K was pretty hard. 
with some big hills and a busy road, but I felt really strong. No power failures, no pain. I told Brian, we were running along, and I said, hey, let's finish. I'm the race director, so let's finish based on my Garmin because mine was reading almost a full half mile shorter than his. But he said if he was going to run this far and then have to upload the miles, he was going to run until his watch said 26.2. So I ended up logging 26.6 on my watch. I made finisher medals out of Christmas ornaments strung on shoelaces with the first annual Groton Marathon written on them in Sharpie. Very appropriate, I thought. And my legs were tired, but nothing hurt. And as a training run, I find this very encouraging. And hopefully I've turned the corner on fitness with this big base building phase that I'm going through. Last year I wasn't even running, so I'm pretty happy with my world in general. Enjoy the moment, folks, because this may be as good as it gets. (laughs) On with the show. Are you hungry? Here's some food for thought. Seven tips for making positive change in the new year. Now is the time. As much as I dislike the cliché of New Year's resolutions, something about the calendar breakpoint between years enables people to sit down and think about what they can do to make improvements in their lives. And in that sense, it's a good thing and a positive habit if the flipping of the calendar can be the trigger for self-improvement thoughts. So here are seven tips to help you succeed in your 2014 life change initiatives. First of all, what are we trying to accomplish? When you sit down and think about New Year's resolutions, what are you really talking about? What is it that you are resolving to do? It's change. Hopefully it's positive change. The resolution is a set of actions and or decisions that you intend to take in order to affect change in your lives. And why do you want to change? Typically, it's because there's some aspect of your life that you're not happy with. Your health is not what you want it to be. Your career is stuck. Your relationships are less than fulfilling. Maybe there are some negative behaviors that you'd like to remove from your life. The bottom line is that there's some behavior that is either giving you pain or preventing you from gaining a better life situation. And the next question is, why haven't you made these changes already? Well, there may be some fear or discomfort or effort associated with the new behavior that is a barrier for you to do it. That's why it takes resolve, which is a fancy word for commitment, Likewise, the behavior that you're trying to give up may provide some sort of reward or pleasure that makes makes it hard to give up. The bottom line is that change is hard, and it requires taking on new things and giving up old things. That's the context of your resolution-setting exercise. Now, keeping this in mind, what are some ways to make it more effective? Number one, choose wisely. There are an infinite number of improvement activities that you can choose from. I would suggest that most people make some basic mistakes when they make their resolutions. It is a common mistake to make too many resolutions and have too many goals 
and that causes the power of each individual change initiative to be diluted. So here's my suggestion. Choose one thing you'd like to change from each part of your life. Your physical slash health part of your life, your work slash career part of your life, your family slash relationship part of your life, and your spiritual slash self-improvement slash aspirational part of your life. Choose one from each. For each of these areas of your life, brainstorm up a list of possible goals, initiatives, events, aspirations, etc. Get a big list and boil it down to one from each category. Less is more. Even if it is only one truly transformational goal or initiative, that's great. That's awesome. Number two, be specific. One of the reasons resolutions fail is that they are nonspecific. Lose weight is nonspecific. Lose 10 pounds by Easter through exercise and diet by getting a coach to hold me accountable and following their advice is much more specific. The goal should have a quantity and a date in a series of tasks or events that will get you there. For example, the above weight loss goal that I stated has quantity, 10 pounds, has a date, Easter, and the beginning of a task, find a coach. If you're really interested in achieving that goal or that change, you need to specifically think about how you're going to do it. That's my point. Number three, make the goal bigger than the fear. Remember, there's a reason you haven't taken these actions yet. It's because the reward of the change or the goal doesn't outweigh the fear of doing it or the pleasure of the negative behavior. I'm not telling you anything you don't know already, but if you can't make that goal or change compelling enough to overcome inertia and fear, you might as well not even start. How do you do that? Well, there are many different tactics. There are books written on this. When you go through the exercise above where you chose that one, two, three, four main things you want to affect, you should have found something that really compels you. Pain is a great motivator. If being fat is painful for you, or not being able to climb the stairs without being out of breath is painful for you, use that pain. Don't avoid it. Write out all the pain that you will have if you don't change. Write out all the opportunities you'll miss out on if you don't make that change. Read it every day and believe it. Internalize it. Have it ready because you're going to be tested. You're going to have to pull it out at the office Christmas party to choose between that donut and your future fitness. And make the pain of not doing it bigger than the fear of the change. Number four, lean into the pain. If you want to find those things that will have the greatest impact on your life, follow the fear. What scares the hell out of you? Quitting your job and starting your own firm? Talking to your partner about the future? Or just being the person you see in those future dreams? Find that fear and lean into it. Realize that the thing that scares you the most is a shortcut. You will learn more about yourself. You will have greater growth and greater transformation when you find that thing that scares you the most and you embrace it. Yeah, I can hear the sweat beating up in your forehead right now. Change ain't for sissies. If you're serious about it, find that nugget that scares the pants off you and start there. You can save yourself decades of foreplay. Number five, get a coach. 
I don't care who you are, how smart you are, or how capable you are. If you could affect positive change in your life in a way that is satisfactory and sufficient, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Do yourself a favor and get a coach. Coaches are great at creating good plans and holding you to task. If you really want to succeed, invest in a coach. And I'm not just talking about a coach to help you with your fitness goals. You should look at each category of your life that we talked about and get a coach for it. Not only will a coach help you attain your positive life change, but they will help you figure out what that life change should be. Listen carefully. Coaches aren't just going to tell you what to do. They are going to provide insights that enable you to do yourself. The value of the coach is in that catalyst. What do all successful people have in common? They have coaches. Number six, manage the trade-offs. All projects succeed or fail on the strength of how you manage the small decisions and trade-offs. It's not the big things that kill goals. It's the piling up of little things. Each day as you strive to affect change in your life, you will be confronted by countless small moments of truth. It is how you manage those moments of truth that will make you successful, or not, in the long run. Recognize these small moments. Have strategies to make the right decision and choose well when confronted by the trade-off. And finally, number seven. It's about the journey, stupid. Many of us get into these silly resolution scenarios because we think there is some future state that if we could only get to it, we'd be happy. This, my friends, is known as the destination fallacy. There is no perfect future state that you're going to achieve. Change is a matter of making progress, not arriving. One of the most dramatic changes you can make in your life is to choose to stop being so neurotic about improvement and find a way to be happy with what you have here and now. Take the opportunities to celebrate progress and little victories. Enjoy the journey, because we all end up in the same place eventually. Hope this helps. Enjoy your solstice celebration, and let me know if you have any strategies that work for you you'd like to share. And now for today's featured interview. So, Lisa, how are you, how are you today? Are you, are you uh, epic? Are you... Are you run-spired? Yes, yes, I'm doing very well and just happy to be here. Thank you. Great. We ran into each other online through, well, some Internet stuff that we're doing, but I was, I was taken by your, uh, your journey, your story about, you know, you're, you're a runner and you're just turning into a master's runner. I won't share with you that I'm a senior runner at this point, I think. But you're you're a master's runner, and you're a pretty good master's runner. You've been running since college. But you've also been through this, not only a, a, an athletic journey, but also a mental journey and a, a business journey and an emotional journey. So why don't you give us the, the 200 words or less on, you know, who you are and what you do and what your journey's been. Well, like you said, my name's Lisa, and I'm from St. Croix, the Virgin Islands, and originally, I grew up a competitive swimmer. I swam for 15 years. And when I went to college, I was waiting for swim season to start. And my roommate ran cross-country. I had never heard of cross-country before. 
but I figured I would check it out while I was waiting for swim season. So I showed up and uh, immediately was hooked on the running. As far as my profession, I do several things. Currently, I'm doing technical writing, and I also have a blog and a podcast at ConsciousRunner.com. Good. So I also I saw on your website that you did you talk a lot about um, emotional and mental transformation as well. So what you know how do you think running or endurance sports because you're a swimmer too? How do you think that empowers people? How does that help them transform their lives? I think there are many benefits to running. Running is a fantastic teacher. Any competitive sport is, but in particular, running teaches discipline as it takes courage or discipline to get out and to run every day, you know, to do it when we don't feel like doing it, to doing it when there's ice and there's snow on the ground or when the roads are, look like they're melting because of the heat. And also perseverance to just keep going when you feel like giving up. You know, as one of my coaches used to say, no one's going to hand you a chair in the middle of a race. Also, it powers through patience, you know, just training month after month for a goal that might even be six months, eight months away. And confidence. Each time you accomplish something that you thought you couldn't do previously, I think it empowers us in many, many ways. So I I wish I was in uh, St. Croix right now. It's, you know, this week it's been in the single digits up here. So I think, uh, I think St. Croix would be a nice change. Yes, I, I think for me, too, I heard that uh, it was 70 degrees. I spoke to my mom, and she said that she was freezing down there. It was 70 degrees. And I said, Mom, it's colder than that indoors up here. You know, our heater has said it's 68. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So when you look at running and, and what it brings to you, how have you in your life used that, you know, are there times when you've taken the, the lessons from your athletics and used those in your life? Yes, the it's a strong carryover. All of the things like being disciplined and you know, persevering and patience and confidence have all moved over into my business life and you know, also just the way that I conduct myself, being on time for meetings and uh, pushing through when I'm challenged, it can be a direct correlation to what I've experienced athletically. So when I, you know, as, as we're getting older in life, right, and we look at what we've learned through athletics and our, and our training, and we've learned these lessons, and we, you know, we feel sort of compelled to give back, right, to try to, try to it's such a great thing that we want to share it with other people, but you've got to be careful because you can overwhelm people. So... How can, you know, I see you trying to make this effort to share with people, to, to leverage what you've learned through athletics and life to give back. How can we, as, you know, as amateur endurance athletes, we're not the best, but how can we be leaders and how can we inspire other people? How can we, how can we make an impact on the world? I see inspiring others by really being the best person that you can be, that you inspire and lead when you're the fullest expression of yourself, that when you're doing something that you love and you're passionate about and other people are able to witness it. You know, anyone that is pushing themselves beyond what they thought was possible is a leader and inspiring to someone else. And I think when you live from that place, you just radiate such a light that others can't ignore. 
and I've drawn as much inspiration in my life from elite athletes as I have for the high schoolers that are on the track and cross-country team that I volunteer with. You know, so it really has nothing to do with speed or time, but it has to do with the, the human spirit. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I think that's a that's a thing that pe- that's a nuance that people miss, right? Where they say, "What do I do to influence other people?" Well, it, you shouldn't focus on influencing other people. You should focus on influencing yourself and your environment, and and then that will, like you said, the glow or the the uh, the spillover will naturally pull people into your circle. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and and in that way, you're being very honest as well. It's very authentic because, you know, it's not self-aggrandizing. It's saying, hey, you know, I'm just doing what I do. <laughs> you want to get on the bus? That's, that's fine, right? Yes, and, and people can pick up on it, and that's what's, you know, inspiring. Have you ever had anybody push back on you and tell you, uh, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing something or you couldn't do something? And, uh, and how did you handle that? I believe that I can do anything that I set my mind to doing. I grew up believing that way. I didn't have parents who put limits on what I could and couldn't accomplish. That if I could dream it, then I could grab hold of it. And because that belief has been so strong, I've been able to achieve pretty much everything that I've wanted to achieve or come within the vicinity, the close vicinity of it. And I say it like that because there have been certain times that I've wanted to achieve in races that I've missed, but it's been extremely close. So that's kind of the place that I live by. And my uh, experience has proven that to be true, that if it's something that I really, really want, then I can have it. So what other people have to say is not truthful to me as what my own evidence and my tr- own truth is. So in that sense, you're you're very focused. And when you when you set a goal, let's say you you set a goal, I'm going to run, a, I'm going to break uh, what one o one ten one o five in the half marathon. What's what's your what's your what's well, your uh, PR in the half marathon? One fourteen. My PR is a one sixteen. One sixteen. So you're you're trying to break that this year as a master. So you're telling me? Yes. Yes. Wow. Good for you. And when you set a goal like that, and I'm sure there's been similar goals throughout your life, and you get close to it, you know, within seconds of it, because I've done this several times myself. People always say to you, they go, "Oh, you must be crushed. You missed your goal time by thirty seconds." And I'll always say, "No. You know, I'm I'm happy, man." Because I know I did my best, and the the process of getting there was such an immense and rewarding learning experience that I'm 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 actually you know of course you want to you want to meet your goals but you don't want to set goals so low that they don't challenge you because it's the process of working towards those goals that is what's important is that you know is what I'm saying makes sense yes ab- absolutely and that's part of the reason why I enjoy training so much. I really don't race that often, but I enjoy the journey and the process and the evolution of working towards something grand. And what you're saying really reminds me of a story that I recently heard. It was about a gentleman that wanted to climb Mount Everest, and I guess it was like a lifelong dream of his. And, you know, he trained and trained and trained, 
and then finally got the opportunity to make the climb and started out as a base camp, and they continued to go up the mountain, you know, camp after camp after camp. And then when he got to the top, he summited the mountain, he didn't experience the elation that he thought he would. And the reason that he didn't was because the journey had changed him. He was just simply no longer the same person, you know, that started at the base camp or had the lifelong dream of accomplishing that goal. So it was about the journey. Absolutely. I think I think people people miss that, you know, especially I see folks who are doing the, you know, they're going to one they're going to run one marathon as a life goal. And the people who just run that one marathon and then quit, I think they're missing so much because running that marathon should transform them. It should make them a different person out the other end. Yes, absolutely. The person that starts the marathon is not the same person that finishes it. Exactly. Let me ask you a more general question, which is, uh, so what are you aspiring to right now in your athletics, physically, mentally, emotionally? What are you aspiring to? Well, like you said, a couple of years, I am a master's runner and actually a newbie master's runner. I turned 40 a couple of years ago. And I uh, still feel like I have a couple of PRs in my legs, so I've got some goals that I'd want to achieve in the half marathon, which I mentioned I'd like to do a 114, and uh, certainly taking into consideration that um, not running with a 20-year-old body, you know, but I had a lot of adversity, you could say, during my 20s and 30s in running. I struggled a lot with um, injury. And, you know, fortunately, I really committed myself to a strength training and mobility, which has allowed me to prevent injury and achieve my highest mileage consistently in my late 30s and 40s. And that's why I feel like I've got a few PRs still left in my legs, because had I been able to do the strength training and mobility or been aware of it or had teachers to to show me what I needed to do, how often, and when to do it, then the times that I did in my 20s and 30s might have been very different. And you're absolutely right, because I'd like to uh, explain to people that as you get into your 40s, it's not that you lose that much ability, especially in the longer distances. It's that you really start to lose the ability to train at a high enough level to get the results, because your body just breaks, Right. So if you could keep your training intensity high, you know, your performance wouldn't fall off that much. So it's, it's interesting. So what kind of uh, strength training and mobility have you, what's, what's your secret? In order to keep the training intensities high, you know, the ancillary work has to be done is what I've learned, you know, for sure. Uh, like squats and lunges and even some rehab-type work, yeah, I might do like quad contractions, you know, just literally with no weight or no resistance, just tensing up a muscle and a lot of balance work as well. And as far as the mobility, really keeping the muscles loose and pliable through things like dynamic stretching. And I also do some static stretching and uh, the foam rolling, golf balls, lacrosse balls. I'm no stranger to any of those <laughs> Right, so you're you're manually getting in there and manipulating the the sore bits to sort of break up the scar tissue and get the blood flow in there. I found that's real. Yes, 
too. Yes, and that has been amazing, amazing, you know, for me. I mean, I can hardly put in words, you know, what it's done, you know, for my prevention of injury and also, you know, my running and being able to just handle more and not, not break down while doing it and feeling good while doing it and feeling strong. I mean, not feeling strong just while I'm running, but literally just feeling strong while I'm just standing. Yeah, I remember when I used to run, when I first started doing marathons in my 30s, I'd be at these points where I'd be in such good shape. I'd be putting in these high-mileage weeks with lots of high-quality training, but I wouldn't be able to get up off out of a chair without, you know, <laughs> making noises and screaming in pain. You know, so it's an interesting <laughs> catch-22, right? Yes, yeah, for sure. So you got to do that. you got to do that stuff. So the hard part is, though, right, because when you get done, like you come home from work and you know you got a workout to do, and you go, oh, God, i got to stretch, too. You know, so it really takes some discipline. Absolutely, and I always say that the running is the easy part. You know, the harder part is to, you know, to get on the floor and, you know, to start doing the, all of the ancillary work. Right. But that's this the harder part mind. because we, we love to do the running, you know, but the other stuff is important in order to keep going. I mean, if you're competitive and you want to continue to increase mileage and to get the most out of your running, then that's absolutely necessary. Yeah, this is a good message for me right now because I probably haven't stretched in two weeks and I've been running a lot. So I'm on borrowed time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing a self-supported marathon this weekend on Saturday. I made up my own marathon. Oh, that's cool. So it'll be 26.2, huh? You'll get the .2 as well? Exactly. Yeah. And the rule the rules are when my Garmin says 26.21, that's when the race is over. And amazingly enough, I've already got two people who are going to run with me, so I probably won't even win my own marathon. Right. Right. Uh, that's all right. Maybe you'll get an age group award, right? <laughs> As it turns out, I think the guy who's running with me just turned 50, so no. Well, you you might have to settle for second in that age group. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be the first podium for me this year. So this stuff isn't easy, right? Whatever it is, whether it's work or, you know, family or running, you know, stuff isn't easy. It's challenging. So, you know, you you must have had a lot of challenges in your journey, right? So if people listen to this and they say, what 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 can they learn from your challenges? What have you done to... What have been your challenges, and what have you done to overcome them? You know, well, certainly I mentioned as far as running that uh, I was plagued with quite a bit of injury during my running career. And just looking back, I wish I had known, you know, then what I know now about strength training and mobility. And what I learned is that that's absolutely necessary to getting the most out of your running. Um, I also learned that I can endure far more than I think I can, you know, mental tricks that I've had to play with myself during hard times in training or even racing and been able to push through. And I've also learned, certainly as of late coming into my master's years, that it's just running. What do you mean? And what what I mean by that is that it seems to be taking a different spot, if you will, in my life than it did in my 20s and 30s, where there are other things that I enjoy besides running that have now stuck 
I'm allowing to step up alongside of it. Whereas in my 20s and 30s, I would have solely identified myself, you know, as a runner. And that was literally what I was living for. It was getting up, it was doing the run, it was going to work, it was coming back and then hitting, you know, the gym and doing some strength training, not not the training that I know now that I should have been doing, you know, but doing what I what I knew at, at that point in my life. And then I would hop in the pool and swim for a half an hour and then do it again. And it was very regimented and rigid and uh, was really trying to capitalize on those years to get the most out of my athletic ability. But because of the time, I had to sacrifice some of the other things that I enjoy, like scrapbooking or making soap or making jewelry or blogging or starting a business. I I had to pick and choose, and I've allowed those things to step forward now. So when I'm saying that it's, it's just running means that it's not, you know, my whole life, it is really just a part of my life. You know, it's funny because probably the, uh, in the top five questions I get asked by people when they meet me who, who know about, you know, the podcast and that sort of thing, the, you know, the top question is always, what kind of shoes should I buy? But we'll, we'll forget that because that's a philosophical question. The, uh, but in the top five is, how do you find the time to do everything you do? So I'm going to ask you that question. How do you find the time? You're starting a business. You've got a family. You're uh, competing at a high level. You know, how do you find the time to do all the things that you do? Well, you know, fortunately, I've had a lot of uh, flexibility in the job that I've had. I don't right now. It's the time of this recording of the podcast. You know, right now I'm at the office for eight hours a day, and then there's an hour commute each way. So I've been getting up at 4.30 in the morning, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, and getting the run in, you know, before getting ready for work and, he- work and then heading out here. And then when I get home, then I might do a uh, strength workout or, or do uh, another run and then repeat that the next day. But when this uh, project that I'm on ends, then I'll have much more flexibility in my schedule and I'll be able to... Uh, you know, do some of the work during the day, which I know not everyone has the luxury of doing that, that they're still sort of confined to that uh, 40 hours at the job and have to get the workouts in before and uh, after work. Sometimes you just, you really don't have the time, and I find that as well, right? Sometimes life gets in the way, and the only way to do it is you're going to have to get up early. Some, at some point, if you really want that athletic goal, you really want that marathon time, you're going to have to roll out of bed at 4 o'clock in the morning. It's going to be minus and, and 5 that, degrees out, and you're going to have to get that workout in. And it's, and it's not going to be a high-quality workout, but the strength, the the mental fortitude you get just by getting that done will make you a better person. Yes, I mean, and that's really the way that I look at it. It really comes down to how bad do you want it. You know, how bad do you want it, and where does it fit in your life, how important it is to you, and whether it's worth it for you to get up at 4.30 in the morning and to make the sacrifices that are required to achieve your goal or to have that experience and experience the, the journey towards achieving your goal. And what you actually do is a telltale sign of how important it is to you, you know? Right, and even if you got a if you got a 9-to-5 job, you know, you're, like you said, a 40-hour-a-week job, you know, that decision you make at 4 o'clock in the morning is going to influence the rest of your life. And, and I can't say I make that decision the right way all the time. I slept in this morning, you know, but I travel a lot, so it balances out. 
But, you know, even if it's not about athletics, even if it's about your job, that you don't have to do it 100% of the time, but you've got to make that decision the right way enough so it has an impact on your life. Right, and en- and enough is enough is the key. You know, certainly there are times where four thirty in the morning might not work, and then maybe it has to ha- just happen after work. You know, but before you do a strength training workout, or maybe it has to happen at lunchtime, or maybe it means investing, you know, in a treadmill, or maybe it means you know switching the schedule up so that you're running longer on other days. You know, it's, so there's many different ways to kind of fit fit it in. You know. I think you're right, and that's the other thing trap I see people falling into is they say, "Okay, I only work out at five o'clock in the gym." Well, you gotta you gotta throw that box away, and you gotta have a new rule that says, "I will work out when I have time." So there have been times when I've been doing hill repeats at one thirty in the morning, someplace, right? <laughs> and you think yes, about it, it's yes. ridiculous, but it's empowering as well because you say, "If I'm the kind of person who could do hill repeats at one thirty in the morning because it's on the schedule, then." I'm the kind of person who can do anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I mean, it just comes back to how important it is to you. And, and, you know, like as we started the conversation, you know, the dedication to it and the dedication to your goal and the dedication to the journey, you know, being out there in the snow and the ice, you know, being out there in the heat, being out there when you're sick and you don't feel well. Um, I remember earlier, actually it was probably about a month and a half ago, I had one of our cats um, I had to put down, and it was on a Tuesday, uh, no, yes, a Tuesday night, and that Wednesday, I had to meet someone for a workout, and we originally planned to meet in the morning, and I just thought, there's no way, you know, I didn't sleep all night, and, you know, I just was so, you know, sad about what had happened, and, you know, we ended up changing the workout to being in that afternoon, because the person I was going to run with had uh, something else to do. So I met her and I was debating whether or not I was going to meet her at the track at uh, 630, but I I went ahead and I did, you know, and, and did that workout because the goal, you know, was important enough for me, you know, to do it. So it's kind of how important it is to you is going to determine whether or not you're going to, to get out. Yeah, and it, it's a fine line. Again, you can subsume your whole life to the athletics, and that's not the point because you know, your family and your business sometimes are going to be more important, and you got to manage those trade-offs. So interesting, interesting stuff. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure, absolutely, absolutely. Right. And that's what I'm finding as becoming a master's is that I'm allowing those other things to sort of step forth. You know, so I'm not so rigid about the you know the running as I had been in my earlier years. Yeah, absolutely. When I first started running uh, marathons, I would run that extra lap around the parking lot to make up the last 100 yards because, you know, by God, it said 20 miles on the on the plan, not 19.9. You know, it's just running. <laughs> you know, it's okay. It'll be all right. You know, really. You know, in the big scheme of things, little scheme of things, it's just running. <laughs> it's not who you are. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. You know, you don't have to feel guilty about it. It's it's okay. <laughs> yeah, and and if you let it take over your life, then if you do get an injury, it crushes you. Because now you got nothing to do, right? I can see, Lisa, that from looking at your uh, your website and and listening to you and seeing you interact here, that that you know, it takes a lot of courage to in in your life. You 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 had had to have some courage to change some things in your life. You know, do you have any tips for people on how they can they can build up that courage to, you know, to essentially be who they want to be, to change direction in their lives? Yes. As far as uh, 
courage goes, I think it first just starts with just the desire to be who you want to be. And when the pain of who you want to be is greater than the pain of who you are, you know, then that's when you do something about it. And the first step is to really look at what you want for your life. And if it's something like a new career, you know, then identifying the steps that it would take in order to to get that. And the same goes for drawing more happiness or peace or freedom into your life. It's just really looking at what you want and plotting out the steps to achieve it. Same as if you were wanting to achieve, you know, a certain time in a race. You work backwards, plot out the steps that it's going to take to achieve it. But as far as the courage goes, it's it's more like, you know, you have to just feel the fear and do it anyway. And there's, there's no way around that. You just have to take the leap. <laughs> I like that. Lean into the fear. That's a good yes. tip. That, that's a good tip. Find the thing that you are most afraid of and lean into that. Yes. Yeah, I'm I'm going to move us towards the exit here, but let me ask you one last big question and you can think hard on this. You know, what would be the top 1, 2 or 3 things that you've learned through your journey that you would share with our our people who might be listening to this that would help them? What would be that top top one, two, or three things? What are the lessons? I I would say to not want the destination so much that you miss the journey. All right. So, Lisa, give us your your website and your uh, podcast and all the the essentials. The website is ConsciousRunner.com, and you can find a link to the podcast right off of the menu bar. All right. I'm going to let you go now. We'll get on with our our holiday planning. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, everyone, for listening. It was great being here. All right. No worries. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Hitch up your tights, because now we're going to talk tips and tricks for endurance sports. The Barefoot Weights Workout. A nice twist on pumping iron. When I was in my 20s, before I was a marathoner, I spent a year or so lifting weights. There was a gym within walking distance of my office. I'd walk over at lunch and work out four or five days a week. I'd do chest and arms on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'd do back and shoulders on Tuesday and Thursday. And these were real weights. Iron plates, barbells, dumbbells. I'd do multiple exercises for each muscle group and three sets of each exercise to exhaustion. If I could do more than 10 reps, I'd increase the weight. When I got in the shower after these workouts, my arms would be trembling and I wouldn't be able to lift them to wash my hair. It was fun. I had a guy who worked in the office with me who was a real, actual bodybuilder. He competed. And I was lucky enough to have him show me the correct form for all the exercises and how to breathe and how to not get hurt. And I learned a lot about weightlifting as a sport. And as a discipline, I wasn't lifting to get big because I quickly realized that there was no amount of weightlifting that would make me not be a dork. I was lifting to be strong and to build some muscle, and that was fun. I learned that like any other sport, weightlifting rewards the people who respect it as a discipline and take the long view of how it fits into their lives. When I started running, more seriously, and running marathons, I stopped lifting weights. The two activities had different goals. Weightlifting tried to make me bigger and stronger. Running tried to make me smaller and faster. 
Eventually, as I got older, I began to work strength training back into my training plans to prevent injury. But for the most part, this was bodyweight exercise for the core, lots of push-ups and crunches and planks. At most, it was light dumbbell work. I never approached the bench press rack or hoisted any big iron. Recently, Coach has started giving me real weights workouts once a week, and I'm really enjoying it. But how do I resolve the inherent conflict between pumping iron and endurance sports? First, I work out barefoot. I do all my weightlifting in bare feet. Your gym may throw you out for this, so you can use toe suit shoes or socks with grippy pads or whatever your footwear freedom of choice is. My gym is unsupervised, so I get to go unnatural and flaunt my big hairy feet. So far, no one has complained, and I actually get lots of positive questions about why I'm doing it. I love the way I can grip and balance with my feet when I'm lifting. It feels great, and I'm sure it must be good for balance and foot strength. On a cautionary note, folks, please be careful. Don't drop weights on your toes. Watch where you step. Be cognizant that you may want to wipe down equipment that your feet come in contact with. Be a good citizen. Second, I barefoot jog between sets. After I complete a set of the big iron, I jump on the treadmill and I jog barefoot for five minutes before I start the next set. When I say jog, I mean jog. Whereas my shod pace might be, uh, I don't know, an 830 mile, my barefoot pace is slower than 13 minute miles. This is not about running. It's about moving blood around and feeling your body. It's super fun. It makes your feet stronger, lets you recover from the weight set, and everyone in the gym thinks you're mental. The key is to forget about pace and go as slow as you can while still maintaining that perfect form. You feel your feet hit the belt. You spread out your toes and you grab with them. It's really enjoyable, and it's a great interlude between the big iron sets. Third, this workout is for strength, not endurance. I do three to five sets, 10 to 12 reps of each exercise to exhaustion. This is not an endurance workout. This is a strength workout. You should set your weights so that you can complete a max of 12 reps in any set and a minimum of six reps in any set. You'll probably start in the 12 range and finish in the eight range. If you can get at least six to eight reps on the last set, you're in the right range for weight and effort. Don't put yourself in danger, but it should be hard. See if you can get someone to spot you on the last set so you can lift one to two reps past the point of exhaustion with their help. Those are the ones that really build strength. Rest no more than 10 to 15 seconds between the reps. This should give you just enough time to set up the weights and move to the next exercise. Fourth, learn to lift with good form. Part of me can't believe Coach actually gives this workout to people without a stern talking to about the importance of form. I cannot overemphasize how important form is when lifting the big iron. Never, never, never swing the weights or arch your back to get one more rep. Not only will you hurt yourself, but you lose the benefit of the exercise if you have to contort your body to complete it. Your lift movement should be slow and controlled. It will take two or three sessions before your body gets used to the movements 
and you have to be patient. It might be a good idea to just do the first session with only a bar and no weight, just to get the form right. If you can find an experienced weightlifter to walk you through the first couple sets and coach you on form, it will have a great benefit. Know which muscle the exercise is intended to work and isolate the movement to that muscle. The rest of your body should be quiet. Focus the movement on that muscle. For biceps and triceps exercises, keep your elbows tight to your body and pointed. Keep your shoulders square and your back straight. Don't cheat. It's better to do less weight cleanly than it is to cheat. Fifth, I hit all the major muscle groups with iron. I do back with either dumbbell or barbell rows or cable rows. I do my chest with the barbell and everyone's favorite, the bench press, the barbell bench press. That's what all the big weightlifters do. You can also do incline presses and decline bench presses. And you can also do flies, dumbbell flies. Uh, shoulders, very important. You do the overhead press. You do the standing row or the standing fly or the behind-the-head press with either barbells or dumbbells. Triceps, again, something people don't usually focus on, but very important. You do overhead triceps or barbell press. You do cable pushdowns or kickbacks. Biceps, a lot of fun. You do that standing barbell curl or dumbbell curl, or you can use the prayer bench and do pointed curls. And sixth, I'm a good citizen in the gym. Don't be afraid to talk to the weightlifters in your gym. They're not mutant monsters. Ask them for advice. Ask them for spots and form tips. They're just normal people. Most of them love their sport and will be more than happy to share their knowledge. If you're afraid of going into the scary iron section of the gym, go in at off hours for the first couple of sessions so you don't get in anyone's way. There are a set of norms in the weight area. You should always put away your weights after you're set unless you're coming right back. It makes the other people mad if they have to move the stuff you left or reconfigure it. Don't be a jerk. Pick up after yourself. If you're using the same set of equipment as someone else, let them know what you're doing. You know, I'm doing three sets of this. I'm on my last set of tricep pushdowns. Do you want me to reset it back to the thing when I'm done? Be a good citizen. Communicate. You won't get in any trouble. If you want to learn something new, especially in the winter months, do a big iron workout each week. The one I'm doing right now takes me, gives me five full sets with five minutes barefoot jog in between in about an hour. That's a solid, well-rounded, fun workout. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep. But I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. What's that sound? Is it a merry elf trying to get into my smokestack? Where's my ninja sword? That's breaking and entering. Hope you all have a safe and happy time in your winter solstice mythology celebration of choice. I know I will enjoy the time spent with my family. The next show is going to be a chat with our old friend Dave McGilvery about what we can expect at this year's Boston Marathon. I guess it would still be next year's, technically. 
I'll be gearing up for the Waco Marathon in Texas on January 26th with my friend Ryan and the New Orleans Marathon on the next weekend with Eric. I have a couple of product reviews for you. Kind of a funny story, this one. This guy hits me up on Twitter and asks me if I have blister problems and would I like to try some foot goo. And I say, no, I never have blister problems, but you can send me the foot goo if you would like. So he sends a tube, and I try it out on my long runs, and he asks me, how did you like it? And I say, good news, I still don't have blister problems. <laughs> but anyhow, let me explain what the product is. It's a lubricant slash cream that you put on your trouble spots on your feet to prevent blisters and hot spots. And it comes in a tube with a nubbly-topped applicator intended to allow you to spread it on your feet like toothpaste, I guess. The lube itself is white and much thicker than normal lube. I imagine this consistency helps it last longer on your runs, so probably good for you ultra folks. I included a link in the show notes. If blisters are a problem for you, it might be a product you want to try. The second thing I want to talk to you about is those Solomon shoes that they sent me last month. I haven't been running in them, but I have been wearing them during the day, and I quite like them. They're light, and they feel great on my feet. And I discovered that the tread pattern is awesome in snow and ice. And they have that non-lace sink lacing, that cinch lacing, so you don't have to tie or untie them, which is awesome for me because I take my shoes off and put them back on a lot during the day. And they're cool looking. So I checked them out on the Solomon website, and they're classified as door-to-trail shoes, whatever that means. I guess it's a sort of hiking-running, cross-training hybrid. They are called the XR Cross Max, and there's a link and a picture in the show notes. Thanks for coming along with me again this week. We are up to 280 total shows, and it's about time for me to change formats again, yeah? Any thoughts on something new and compelling we can do with the Run Run Live franchise to make it compelling for you and rewarding for me? What do you think? A modern poetry newsletter? A light-hearted review blog on Gregorian chants? A Latin syntax primer? A stock option tax review? Don't laugh. I had to actually explain that to someone this week. Seriously, when you get home, hug everyone, including the dog, for 20 seconds. It doesn't count unless you hold it for 20 seconds. See you soon. Thanks for listening, folks. I do appreciate your support. Run Run Live is a free service for you because I like writing and telling stories. I also love to meet folks, so feel free to reach out to me at Gmail or any of the other social networking sites. I'm C-Y-K-T Russell, and as you know, that's Chris Yellow King Tom Russell with two S's and two L's. My website is www.runrunlive.com. And most, if not all, of this content is posted out there. If you want the show notes to magically show up in your inbox when I publish a show in a beautiful HTML wrapper, you can subscribe to the mailing list at my site, 
You can find it there, and it also has all the links to everything and everyone that I talk to and about. Other than that, my friends, thank you for the attention. Do epic stuff, and let me know if I can help. Ciao. I know a way to get you up on the-